0: Hello and welcome to The Fatherly Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua David Stein. On this episode, I'll be speaking with my friend, Jason Gay. Also, Dr. Jessica Tracy, who studies emotions, most notably guilt. Anyway, stay tuned. There's laughter, there's tears, there's crickets.
1: Welcome to The Fatherly Podcast. I hope you enjoy the show.
0: Hey, Jason, how's it going? It's going, man. I like your bag of crickets. I There are live crickets
1: in the studio. It's true.
0: Wait, wait, wait. Can you hear them?
1: <laughs> crickets. I, do you want me to do crickets? I can do hours of crickets, but these crickets do chirp. Yeah. So I have crickets with me in the studio because my son has a uh, fat-tailed gecko, and, and you have a little cricket cage next to the gecko cage and yeah they in fact chirp and sometimes it sounds like you know summer in maine in my son's room in the middle of february
0: and they're all gonna die but we're all gonna die and anyway welcome to the studio (laughs) (laughs) uh this is the last episode i have with you and i wanted to uh walk down memory lane oh please yeah i mean i didn't know you before we did this that's true i feel like you're still a cypher (laughs) (laughs) yes but we did have some good experiences i don't know i think so
1: yeah i feel like i got a chance to inside your mind, but uh, also the minds of some really interesting people who I don't typically interact with because I'm just in the goofy
0: world of sports, man. Uh, Not to circle jerk, which would be hard because there's only two of us, but like, (laughs) (laughs) what... I don't know. Doing these episodes, is there anything that really like stuck out that you also like use in your life as a dad? Or oh,
1: absolutely. You know, I think about the very first episode. Actually, the very first episode that I was part of was Luke Cage. So yeah. that was kind of like a little bit. Uh, he he's an interesting guy, but it Mike felt Coulter. very sort of standard um, uh, celebrity stuff. Yeah. I, I, the one that stuck out with me early on was Matthias, the base jumper, jumper. and. Yeah. That's, I guess, maybe because it's running a little bit on the parallel track of sports because this person was like an adventurer, an athlete, but doing crazy ass stuff. Yeah. And contextualizing it into being a parent. And I think about that all the time. You when know, I, I when I'm base jumping,
0: <laughs> <laughs> or when you're like turning without using your turn signal. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I, I remember Matthias. Uh, we also interviewed. I interviewed David Schaff whose son yeah. uh, Nick was the subject of Beautiful Boy. Yeah, but I also think back to a couple of seasons ago. I interviewed Laird Hamilton, All right. and it was the same idea that I don't mind taking these risks. I don't mind if I die, although obviously I don't want to. Yeah, even that I it, even though I have kids because this is who I am. Like, I am this person who does these behaviors. You are okay. You and, that, are- and that was always so striking to me that they thought the moral um, choice in that sense was to show their kids, to fully be themselves for their kids. Yeah. Like, for both Laird and Matthias, it was like, I want to show my kids to do the things you are and the things you're passionate about. It does not resonate with me, but I finally, speaking with you and Matthias, I understood what they're saying. It must also be a lot easier to tell your kids what you do for a
1: living. My children still have no idea what I do for a living. And, you know, when I get around Nor to do understanding I. it, they're not going to really be interested in I don't think. I raise crickets. Um,
0: my kids know that I bring home toys, and they're excited about that.
1: Like, giveaway? Like, hey, I got a foam finger from the cell phone company, that kind of stuff?
0: No, no, because through Fatherly, I get, like, oh. like, all the new toys before they're out. What is going
1: on? On with that. I, you haven't put Jason on the free toy racket train. Come
0: on. You haven't put me on the Boston Red. Listen, I don't. I, I don't even know
1: the sports teams. To I, 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 for. Can, I can get you into the Gleason's Gym wrestling. Uh, orama. Yes, I would okay. like that.
0: All right. Um, anything else? That is. Come on. that's surface stuff. We talked about some some heavy. Yeah. Heavy lifts. Yeah.
1: I mean, listen. I. I said this on the air, I believe, but I had you know tremendous you know admiration for the way that you sort of took on very publicly you know your own sort of demons and issues and had conversations that i think apply for a lot of people of you know are going through shit in their lives um and it remind me i'm embarrassed the 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 doctor who came in to talk about bpd valerie valerie i mean and her intern boris i I mean folks if you haven't listened to this episode I, i mean It was 90 of the most, you know, extreme minutes of my life. I felt just as an observer of it, you know, I'm not really, you know, it was really doing a lot of listening to you talk about it with her. You know, it it really sort of underscored how this stuff can have value, and and not to sound glib about it, but we're in an era now where there are fifty bazillion million podcasts, yeah. right? And there's probably fifty bazillion of them are about dads and parenting and this stuff. We're not reinventing that, but when you get into a conversation like that, what you were having, and being candid in the way that you were, not to sound corny about it, but I was like, this has real value for people. There are probably a half dozen people who listen to it, maybe more who for whom it was life-changing, perhaps. And that's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, I think for me, like, yeah, I feel a little self-conscious already just talking about myself. And it's a very self-driven. The season has been quite self-driven, yeah. I think. Um, and it felt really good that I've gotten a couple of emails. You have. More than yeah. a couple. Like, I've yeah. gotten a handful of emails with people. Thank you so much for talking about oh, great. this one thing. And I yeah. think... Yeah, it's easy to just be churning out content because that's what we do. That's how I get no, paid. No, no. both of
1: us have been content monkeys for a very <laughs> yeah, for long a very... time. <laughs> and to
0: finally do something that, you know, was difficult to do personally, but I do felt I do feel like resonated with yeah. other people in a way that was meaningful to me, apart from meeting you mm-hmm. and getting to hang out for the time we have, the most satisfying and valuable thing was to was to hear that we helped people who are struggling similarly 100 percent. i mean you know and and
1: very few people get the opportunity to have that kind of impact and so that's a special thing and i also just like look i'm still in the world of like new dad and 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 trying to figure it out and making mistakes all over the place and just to be in the company of people who are also trying to figure it out is therapeutic yeah
0: well, we're not quite done yet, Jason. We have one more guest. Oh, yes. Dr. Jessica Tracy. Right. She specializes in pride, but I'm going to try to steer the conversation to uh, guilt. Sorry. Ari- oh, Classic wow. JDS move. Your sweet spot. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we'll be back with Jessica after the break. Well, I wanted to first of all, thank you for coming on the podcast. I know you have written a lot and researched a lot about pride and we'll get to pride, but I wanted to open with a emotion. Although this really goes to the, the question of what is an emotion, a feeling that I'm struggling with a lot in my personal life, always have been, but particularly now guilt. Mm. Um, and it's a, weird heavy thing that i carry with me and like i said it's kind of at the intersection between a an emotion and a physical sensation and i was hoping you could maybe orient us a little bit about what that emotion is
2: sure yeah um guilt is heavy i think that's a really good description of it actually and and uh, you know, I would say the physical part is very much part of the emotion. The way that um, emotion researchers think about and define emotions, typically the feeling part is the part of it. And the physical sensations, what we would call physiological sensations, all that kind of stuff, that's, that's part of the emotional experience in the sense that it's this coordinated bodily, behavioral, cognitive, uh, subjective set of responses that work together. And they do that because they're serving a particular function, and that's sort of an evolutionary perspective. The idea is that we have emotions because they're functional. They help us survive. They help us survive our social lives. They help us uh, kind of advance some ways that we would want in, in our social world, gain status, keep friendships, stay included within our important social groups.
0: How does, and guilt is definitely
2: yeah. one of those. Yeah, so yeah, So it's funny because it feels really negative. It feels like, oh God, I shouldn't be feeling this. It feels terrible. But actually, if you think about it, the reason we feel guilt is is typically because we've committed some transgression, or at least we think we have. We've done something wrong, often to someone else, although not always. Um, And this terrible feeling that we have about it, essentially, it kind of tells us, listen, this isn't something that we should do. This is something that in the future we should work hard to do differently. And even now, Maybe there's things we should do to fix the situation. Maybe we owe someone an apology. Maybe we need to go and show someone that we're sorry for what we did. Um, And and that's basically the function guilt-serving, and that's a really important function in terms of our relationships and our social groups, which, you know, as, as a social species are pretty critical for us.
0: You researched this connection between the physicality and the, um, the physiological symptoms that you were talking about and the psychological symptoms. Is guilt in any way more powerful than, I don't know, joy or rage? Or does each emotion have that intersection between the two?
2: Um, whether guilt is more powerful than, than something like rage or anger or joy, my guess is it really varies on the person. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, I think we, we feel negative emotions more intensely than positive emotions, for the most part. So guilt might be a more kind of overwhelming experience than joy, right? If, if you're feeling a negative emotion, if you are you're previously feeling a positive emotion, that negative emotion can really take over. It right. grabs our attention. It really has greater salience. And that's adaptive as well, because when things are going well, we don't need to pay a lot of attention. We're fine. something's going badly that's a situation where we do need to change our behavior and do something different um or the consequences you know in many cases could be dire at least in our evolutionary history but to compare guilt and and rage you know i I don't know i think it really would depend on the situation the person the context all that kind of thing
1: don't you want to have a little bit of guilt i imagine somebody who just leaves a light without any guilt they just, uh, I don't know what kind of species that would be. I think of guilt as being some kind of harness to make sure that we, you know, commit or follow through on commitments, adhere to obligations. Now, of course, it has negative connotations all over the place. And, but, but isn't there some version of guilt which every person needs?
2: Yeah. No, I mean, that's exactly what I was trying to say when I talked about it being functional. Yeah. That's 100% how I see these emotions is that we need them. They're doing something important for us. If you didn't feel guilt, then you would hurt your partner, you'd hurt your friends, and you wouldn't care. And so you wouldn't fix the situation, and they would hate you. kind of be an outcast. So it, it is absolutely adaptive for us to feel these emotions. And, and people generally tend to be moral, pro social, good people. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of research suggesting that people who are prone to guilt are actually kind of the best people in a lot of ways, in ways we think of in terms of morality, right? They're empathetic, they care about others, they want to help others. They work hard. They're conscientious. Um, on the whole, feeling guilt is not a bad thing. And in fact, uh, many psychologists or emotion researchers can cross guilt with shame, which, while it's also something that, you know, is adaptive for us to feel, comes with much more problematic set of consequences. Shame.
0: Well, well, yeah, you know, what's guilt, the difference between shame, shame and guilt?
2: Yeah, So, so the main difference is that guilt is, is typically felt about a behavior that you did. So I hurt my partner, right? You feel yeah. guilt. Shame is much more about who you are. So instead of being able to focus on, you know what, I forgot to call my partner when I was supposed to, that I really made them feel bad, that's terrible. Instead, you say, oh my God, I am a bad person.
0: It's so funny I don't because. Do this well,
2: I'm not good at relationships. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Jason and I on the podcast a couple of episodes ago had this researcher, uh, Valerie Poor, who um, works with borderline personality disorder, which is what I have. And she was talking oh. about how, like, um, so much of having bpd is like suffering from shame and so it's you know i think one of the reasons i was so excited to talk to you and am so excited to talk to you this is great so far is um because i'm carrying around all this guilt i'm basically um leaving or my relationship is ending with my wife and i have kids and so i'm kind of swirling with all of these heavy emotions and it's really hard for me to parse out what part is guilt and what part is shame but I, th- yeah. I think the thing that I'm curious about, and like is useful or could be useful, is, you know, the the function of guilt seems to be a little bit to um, catalyze. I guess that's a word. Um, atonement, which I just learned the other day, is comes from et one, not mm-hmm. atone, but it comes from et one, making whole again, which blew my mind. Huh. Um, but what do you do with guilt? Like, I can't make it better. I can't go back and I can't remedy the situation. I can't make it better. So I'm carrying, it can't be resolved. And does guilt, to me, it feels like guilt is festering. You know, like, it's just going to be there unsatisfied.
2: Right. I mean, I guess the question is, you you can't always fix things. I totally agree. There's things that were done, that are done, and that's, you know, the end of the story. But... There are ways that you can show and that can both make a person that you have hurt feel better or at least feel like you're still a social person worthy of their trust. And then it can make you feel better because at least you've tried to do something about it, right? And I think that's where apology, confession, all that kind of stuff comes in. So, you know, you can you can do things that are bad and then... Up, try to make up for them
0: so it's not a binary it back. This
2: happened i can never you know i can never change what happened but i can show you i'm still that morally upright good person that you thought i was i just did a bad thing and i know that it was a bad thing and i'm fully acknowledging that it was a bad thing and how much it hurt you and i'm i want you to know i'm going to do better in the future and and i think that you know that's the way that we deal with guilt and it's a really you know it's as adaptive a way as possible to deal with a transgression i think with shame what research suggests is that because it's much more about the self, you can't make a distinction between what you did and who you are. So whereas with guilt, you can say, I did a bad thing, but that's not who I am. I know I can do better. With shame, you can say, you know what? I, with shame, instead of sorry, you say, this bad thing is who I am, right? I'm just I'm this bad person. I can never do better. And so instead of going and trying to fix it or apologize or, or let people know who you are, the typical response to shame is actually to avoid the situation. Hide um, not, you know, not go seek out the people that you've heard, but actually kind of directly avoid them, hide away. Um, that's what shame typically motivates, you can understand it. You know, there's ways in which it's adaptive in our evolutionary history. If you're going to get attacked, to hide and, and avoid. But in most situations, in most social or interpersonal situations in our lives, that's not the most adaptive solution.
1: I think of these as such, you know, primal emotions. Is there any way? in which technology, as it has for a whole bunch of, you know, emotions exacerbated the condition of guilt. I think of like, you know, the person who's, uh, toiling at the workplace at, you know, 10 o'clock at night and looking at a photograph of their kids, you know, having a birthday party or something like that. Are, are the, do we have these, you know, these supposed tools in our lives? Are they perhaps stressing our feelings of guilt and shame? So,
2: sorry, you're saying because you, you... Like, technology yeah, I'm, I'm allows wonder- us to think about
1: our... Yeah. I'm wondering, because we have, now in our lives, uh, the access to knowing everything that is happening at a given time and making ourselves available yeah. even if we're not, um, is there... Semi-available. <laughs> Sem- yeah. Yeah. You know, right. uh, and and there's all kinds of conversation, of course, about like not being present in the moment and what that is as a condition. Mm-hmm. Um, Is there any way that sort of modern life is, again, sort of exacerbating the idea of guilt and and, and shame because we are so capable theoretically of being and doing things multiples at once, but we can't? Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, the way I always think about social media and, and technology affecting this kind of stuff is because we're so aware of what everyone else is doing. And yeah. because everyone, you know, so many people use social media to advertise all their virtuous acts, right? What a great parent they are. Virtue signaling. <laughs> Virtue signaling, exactly, yeah. yeah. And so because we're constantly confronted with that, we have this constant sense of not living up to what we should be doing. You know, if my friends are this kind of parent, why can't I do that? I, you know, they post this photo of their kids, should I be doing you Should I be posting that? And yeah. I mean, that absolutely is a real issue. Right? There's this constant social comparison that is kind of thrust upon us.
0: Yeah, I mean, I kind of, Jason, I think to your, your question, it's almost like the more opportunities you have to express yourself and the more actions you have, the more opportunity you have to do something you feel guilty about. Because if I understand Dr. Uh, Tracy correctly, it's like guilt is occasioned by acting in ways that don't accord with your moral understanding and moral code. So if that's like mm-hmm. um, you have the option of um, posting a picture of your kid Right. And on one hand, you want to do that because you're proud of your kid. And we'll get to pride in a second. And then but then you're also taking this opportunity to reify yourself and advertise your kid and violate their privacy. Then you feel guilty about it. So every opportunity you have to act is an opportunity to feel guilty.
1: Sure. And on top of it, Joshua, we Uh both know that there are many people and I believe you're one of them who have. You know, objections and very legitimate ones to not say putting their kids out there on social media and so on. And then I put up a kid on social media, and that's a feeling of pride for me, but also accompanied by some guilt because Mm. I am, you know, violating what some people feel are,
0: uh, you know, child's rights to self expression. So, uh, Dr. Tracy, you've also. Written a book about pride, and I was wondering two things. I was wondering if there's any sort of mm, parallels between pride and shame. Sorry, between pride and guilt. And also, I'm just curious about pride being is the subtitle of the original version of the um, the book was. You know, pride is one of those emotions which moves from a that moves maybe from healthiness to harmfulness. You know, like, yeah, I yeah. think the subtitle is um, How the World's Deadliest Sin Is Also the Key to Success or something like that.
2: <laughs> why Why the Deadliest Sin Why the Deadliest Sin Holds the Secret to Human Success. Yes. Yeah.
0: So talk to me about pride, your, your which quote. is also pro-social, yeah. I think.
2: Yeah, well, so this is really interesting. And actually, I think you kind of, the way that you characterize your question actually is, is perfect because the way that pride relates to guilt, to understand it, you actually have to make this distinction between two different kinds of pride, which really gets at this deadly sin issue. So what we found in our research is that pride is not just one thing. I think the kind of pride that most people at least in American culture think of most typically um, is the pro-social kind, and we call that authentic pride, and that's basically feelings of confidence, uh, achievement, accomplishment. It's what we feel when we've worked really hard for something, and then you know we did well on it, and, and we know that, and we feel good about ourselves for it. And this kind of pride is great, right? It has all kinds of adaptive benefits. It motivates people to work hard. Um, and it's linked to all sorts of positive personality traits and pro-social behavior. But then there's this other kind of pride, which we call hubristic pride, taking from the Greek word hubris. And that's that's the one that we're talking about with that deadly sin idea, right? That pride, pride is, is considered one of Dante's deadly... Actually, Dante said it was the deadliest of the seven deadly sins. Um, and so hubristic pride which also is very much what people think about when they think of pride. Um, and it's, it's very much what people experience when we ask them to talk about their pride experiences. They report all kinds of hubristic pride experiences as well. But it's characterized more by feelings of egotism and arrogance and conceitedness. So it's sort of pride that's too much. It's, it's too much pride or inappropriate pride. And it's linked to all kinds of negative outcomes. So what are people the, tend to feel uh, hubristic pride.
0: Sorry, go ahead. What are the reins that take pride from hubristic pride back to um, sane pride, or um, I think you call it authentic <laughs> pride. Authentic pride. Yeah.
2: How do you get from one to the other? Is that what you're asking?
0: Well, if it's on a continuum, right? And I do feel like sometimes it's there's- It's not on a
2: continuum. Ah. Sorry, let me clarify. It's separate <laughs> Yeah, I didn't mean to imply that. Yeah, so it's two different kinds of pride. And, uh-huh. and you can experience both, you can experience neither, yeah, they're very much independent experiences.
0: Okay, so it's not that too much authentic pride yields hubristic pride. It's that the root no, is no, different. No, no, mm.
2: Yes, exactly.
0: Why yeah, were you attracted I, to pride? I'm attracted to guilt. Why were you <laughs> pra- attracted to pride?
2: Why did I want to study pride? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I actually started studying guilt and shame before I started studying pride. But, yeah. Um, mostly, I, knew what I, I was liked you. Interested in. <laughs> Mostly what I was interested in when I was in grad school was uh, the self and how self and emotions relate, and so these emotions, all you know, pride, guilt, shame, these are all what we call self-conscious emotions, so they're the emotions that we feel when we think about ourselves and when we feel self-conscious, when we're sort of evaluating ourselves, and when I got into this line of work, um, I was really interested in pride, sorry, guilt and shame, but there actually had been a good deal of research already done on guilt and shame, and there had been almost nothing done on pride. So I sort of got into it just because for that reason mainly that, you know, here's something that no one's really studied and, and actually turns out to be quite important.
0: I just want to go back to the guilt thing just for <laughs> one quick second. <laughs> Don't to, feel guilty about it. Come on. it's just the way my mind works. <laughs> I just want to um, dwell for a second on um, the idea of moving on also because it's personal for me and like, it, it's like... I feel this momentum and that I have to do this thing, which is move on. And on one hand, yeah, I feel happy that I can move on and like be a happy person or try to be a happy person. And also so much guilt that I've incurred so much damage for other people. And the idea that I can't undo the damage. I mean, I know you said, I mean, I know you said like apologize and, and, um confess and all those things but at the end of the day the damage is done you know like i cannot undo that damage and you know i'm a i'm a i'm a buddhist and so the idea that i i've incurred this negative karma which will will carry i will carry with me for this in all my future lifetimes and Uh there's nothing i can um there's nothing i can do with that how do you move on does it just yeah does Guilt dissipate?
2: Ah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm just, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but I really think that, yeah, I mean, over time, it's going to dissipate. But especially to the extent that you do whatever you can, you know, even if if it's apologizing, and- they, you know, if, I guess your ideal would sort of be you apologize to people you've hurt, and they actually say, "I hear you, and I forgive you." Yes, right? for Presumably, me, that is so
0: important, and that is not at all yes. happening.
2: Right, right, of course, right. And so that's, over time it might, you know, you might find that whoever you have hurt will eventually be in a place where they're ready to forgive you, where they feel differently about the situation and their own lives and, you know, the results of whatever happened and all that sort of thing. And so that that could change and that could be huge. But, um, but, you know, it's sort of like, you know what, I'm not a bad person. There's all these ways in which I'm good and I want to be good. The fact that I feel bad about this, the fact that I feel guilt is a signal of that. Right. I mean, think about if you were not a good person, you wouldn't feel guilt about hurting people. The fact that you do and you're tortured by it, I think, is a sign of of that. And then it's sort of like, okay, well, how can I work in my life to be better, to do things differently, and and to try not to hurt people in the future? You know, I think, um, yeah, that's that's you know, and and that's that's what I know about guilt. It's you know, I don't. I, I think it's. I think you're in a tough situation, but I think that really kind of working to know that this is not about who you are, and it's obviously not, because if it was, you wouldn't be feeling guilt, but rather everyone does stuff that they wish they hadn't done and that hurt the people they love, and then it's a matter of how do you feel about it and how you cope with it,
0: yeah.
2: and how do, you, how do you make amends.
0: Um, can I ask But you, I agree
2: it's not easy. No, <laughs> you <know
0: what>? no, <laughs> it's not uh, a walk yeah. in the park. Um, Yeah, exactly. I want to ask your – I just want to ask about your experience with the emotion and self-lab. Okay. So I think, like, I've worked for a long time not to minimize my emotions but not to have my emotions, um, like, rule my life. And Mm. they have thus far in a lot of ways. And so I'm curious, like, after working in this field for so long and studying it and, like, this is your life's work, just generally, how do you see emotions – fitting into our human experience well big question <laughs> but i think one that i'm curious what you you know
2: that is a big question yeah. um i think you know i think they're a huge part of it i think that um i i hear what you're saying that you don't want your emotions to kind of. Oh, i forget the, the word you use they're just the uh, phrasing you use but you don't want emotions to be such a prominent force shaping your
0: to your life, life but yeah.
2: you know what Yeah, my perspective is that's that's how it works. That's what they're there for. And um, I think that whether it's – you know, so so a lot of it is, I think, choosing the right emotions, regulating the emotions that are problematic, and converting them to emotions that are less problematic. So so in my book, I talk a lot about how you can harness pride to actually motivate you to become the kind of person you want to be. Because if you can allow yourself to feel the authentic kind of pride, that's going to motivate hard work and all the kinds of behaviors that are going to get you to that place you want to be – the key is to not, you know, to regulate hubristic pride, try to avoid those experiences, minimize them, convert them to authentic pride, that kind of thing. Um, And so that's one way to do it. But to just say, well, I'm not going to feel emotions. I'm not going to let emotions be the driving force. I think that's unrealistic. I also think, um, you know, emotions motivate us to do everything we do. So it's sort of like, well, I don't want to feel emotions because I don't want to be motivated in those directions. That's fair enough, whatever directions it is you don't like. But whatever direction you want to be motivated in, it's going to be an emotion that gets you there, right? So you just got to kind of figure out what emotion it is that you need to feel to be motivated in the way that, that you want to go. You know, for some people, I can imagine it would even be anger. I think a lot of people don't want to feel anger and have a lot of problems with anger because it controls their behavior and makes them behave in ways they don't like when they see it later and think about it later, and it's so overpowering. But there are other people out there who actually, you know, are being taken advantage of and being yeah. walked all over yeah and anger might be what they need to motivate them to
1: stand up for themselves with pride is there a connection the good side of pride is there a connection to just the principles of self-esteem you know i think of pride for many people being a form of empowerment Mm
2: -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah so authentic pride the good kind is very much related to self-esteem um i think you know, we call it sort of a trait-state distinction. So if, if you feel a lot of authentic pride at a state or momentary level, then you're likely to be someone who has high self-esteem at a trait or dispositional level. And and I think that's absolutely true, that people who are able to feel authentic pride easily are people who do have this kind of stable uh, sense of genuine self-worth, who kind of feel that, that they're good people, essentially, which is what self-esteem is.
1: I want to ask you just about a, a classic cliche that you always hear in the workplace and so on. And... You know, with regard to you know, when you were talking about emotions, you know, we, we use the word, you know, emotional as a negative to describe people. Oh, he's so emotional. She's so emotional. Uh, when someone says this, when they say it's just business, it's not personal, is there in fact such a condition or are things always correlated to personal and emotion and those kinds of conditions what's going on in your life jason (laughs) (laughs) i was served papers this morning no no no
2: yeah it's it's a great question it's really interesting i think you know it's funny i I assume people do that to sort of say listen don't feel emotions about this yeah this isn't about you this isn't about our relationship but i think what you're getting at is true that there's always some relationship at stake right And, and maybe Maybe it's not a close friend. Maybe it's just we were people who spent time together at work. But those are still really important people in our lives. And you spend a lot of time with the people that you see at work. Often, you know, I feel like I spend more time with people I see at work on a day-to-day basis than I do with some of my closest friends because we can't find time to get together that often, you know? And so I, I, I do think that, you know, everything ends up being quote-unquote personal in the extent, to the extent that if someone it does something that's going to be hurtful, it's it's going to be hurtful, Um But presumably you can sort of say, listen, this is a business decision, meaning I really like you. I want you to be my friend. This doesn't have anything to do with how much I want to spend time with you. This is just about, you know, the need to make money or or whatever it is. Um, It's still going
1: to be hurtful, but
2: but maybe it's a a way of minimizing the hurt.
1: No, I think you're absolutely right that people use that kind of phrasing to inoculate themselves. I mean, the other, you know, the silly one is the Seinfeldian, like, it's not you, it's me, you know, that kind of thing.
0: I mean, but to me, I don't know, just to push back on all of this, (laughs) like for me, I think that um, what I'm trying to work on is this sense that I have of the steady sense of self already that like I identify with my emotions. Like if I feel angry, I'll say I'm angry. But, you know, what I'm trying to um, realize is there's no like steady me to feel the anger. You know something that helps me a lot and i think this speaks to the well is it personal or not personal is to to observe oh there is anger like True. there is a sense of anger there's a sense of sadness there's a sense of joy less and that has helped me in my life more than because For me, emotions are such a strong rush that I'm so attached to them and it's like getting caught in a current and then you look up and you're like five feet below the water, you know, and you're just like, what happened? It's like, I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm blah. Um, But to just feel those emotions flow through me without being attached to them, I mean, that's kind of been my project for like since 2010, you know? I don't know, Dr. Tracy, if I'm like, I don't know, on a fool's errand or whatever.
2: No, no, no. I think I actually think, I mean, I think what you're talking about, like sort of practices from Buddhist meditation and that kind of thing is, is a great way of working on regulating your emotions. You know, I think um, you're absolutely right that to to acknowledge them, to say, okay, I'm having this emotional experience, but it doesn't have to take me over. I can observe it yes. and kind of get that external observer perspective that I know meditation practices help people kind of adopt. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really good way to, to sort of, allow yourself to get a little detached from it, to not let that anger totally take control. Um, it's hard. I think, you know, emotions are really powerful because you know, that's how they were designed by evolution, right? They're they're meant to control us. But you're right, they often do it in ways that we don't want that actually isn't isn't good for our, our social relationships. And so what you're suggesting could be a really a good way to go.
0: The evolution thing is so interesting. So our, like, current emotional... Our current emotional lives, like had never thought of it before, is also a product of evolutionary change. Like it has behooved us yeah. as a species to feel these emotions. Do you think that's right? That's exactly right. Do you think that there's a, um, I don't know, a tipping point where our the, 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 kind of to go back to Jason's point, um, where We've, incur- we've accrued so much power to act on our emotions that it kind of is no longer evolutionarily beneficial to have such strong emotions, meaning, oh, I'm angry, mm-hmm. I have the power to enact this anger on millions of people now, hmm. right? Whereas yeah. before, yeah. our scope of capabilities yeah. was smaller.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that the emotions we experience evolved when we lived in a very different situation, and they evolved to help us deal with those kinds of situations, not the ones that we' deal with now. And it's super problematic. And I think you know the example you gave is just one example of that, but there's there's lots of them. Like shame is another great example because you know in our evolutionary history the, or the ancestral environment in which much much of this stuff kind of emerged and evolved, we lived in small groups, typically with mostly family members or people we knew really well. And so if you did something that was a violation in some way, feeling shame and hiding so that you weren't attacked or thrown out of the group was probably an adaptive way to go Yeah. Um, because you could get you know, thrown out of the group. And shame is appeasing. It says, look, I know I did something wrong. I need it. It's submission, right? Yeah. And you can see it in other animals in the submission displays. Kind but of now shame. we live in these live groups and we feel shame about something that no one might even know that we did, but it causes us to hide. we so of try to do better, um, and it can really – it can really be problematic. And, and I think you're also right that a lot of the things that were once functional um, because of that context no longer are in, in, the, in the current context.
0: Okay, last question. If you at University of British Columbia could put together the ideal emotional life or slate or lineup or whatever for the current kind of conditions of society and reach and all this stuff, how would you configure that?
1: Wow. <laughs> Oh. You're asking her to that's save the question. world basically.
0: No, but don't don't you yeah, think it's interesting? Right. Like what would the ideal person would they feel less shame? Would they feel you know like yeah. what would be optimized yeah. for the survival of our species?
2: <laughs> well that's a that's a tough question. I thought you were gonna say for you know for our happiness and emotional health. Oh okay, fine.
0: Happiness and emotional health. Uh, okay, and emotion. <laughs> <laughs> you can think the easy way. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Because it's really different, right? Um, and, and the research is easier, you know, the research is enough to address that question about happiness and health. And we, So, you know, there I can say, okay, sure, no problem. We know that people who feel guilt and don't feel shame are happier. They have more satisfying emotional lives. They are less likely to get depressed. They have higher self-esteem. So that's one thing for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Separate um, you know, shame and reason guilt. And
2: reason. We know that, yeah. And and feel, you know, it's okay to feel guilt, but don't feel you know, not to feel shame. Um, anger within reason. I think you know we know that people whose anger gets out of control and they have bouts of rage and, and and aggression that can be really problematic. Um, authentic pride, the good pride, but not hubristic pride—the mm-hmm. bad pride that leads people to hurt others and just look out for themselves and and be even be aggressive and manipulative and that kind of thing. I um, guess so there's happiness. Everyone likes positive emotions. There's lots of different positive. There's happiness, gratitude, empathy, compassion, tenderness, admiration—all these emotions are about strengthening our social relationships and they feel good and Mm -hmm. they help us in our relationships with others so those are good
0: okay happiness is good good we got to keep
2: fear we need fear
0: (laughs) right fear well dr tracy
2: maybe not chronic anxiety
0: i would Mm. i would i would throw that in the waste bucket
2: (laughs) yeah get rid of fear the problem is you need fear because if something dangerous is happening, you've got to respond adaptively. Yeah, but, but, but you can have fear without the anxiety, maybe.
0: Yeah, so. the anxiety Anxiety is to fear as shame is to guilt?
2: Um, not exactly.
0: Oh, that was so <laughs> I, close. I, would say I went down on my branch. I thought you nailed Sorry. it. Was vulnerable. It's it really, <laughs> a theory.
2: Well, because it's not just like guilt is a mild version of shame. It's, it's actually elicited by a different kind of understanding oh. or a different appraisal about the self, right? Whereas anxiety is kind of a more mild version of fear, to some extent. Oh, chronic, more, more continuous, but
0: less intense. Gotcha. Well, Dr. Tracy, thank you for joining us. Um, I feel happier, less anxious, (laughs) and uh, a little less guilty. Mm, That's not true, but I appreciate (laughs) this segment. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. Take care.
0: Bye. You feel satisfied I do you know this is
1: gonna sound like a really facile point, but like it just is amazing to me that there's a whole world of study of conditions like this that one could literally dedicate their life to studying matters of guilt or pride it's just it's fascinating, you know, I just always thought of like academia as like okay, you're gonna do like Faulkner or dinosaurs. no or, way man you know I, and 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 in in many ways. This stuff is just so much more essential to the human condition than almost any field of study.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I was going to be in academia, this would be the thing I would You'd study. You go, but hard. I, I, think my, my takeaway from that is one: doing podcast interviews on cell phones is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Two, um, and this is something like I came up with in my own like therapy life is. My, like, spiritual practice is so different from this kind of, like, Western understanding of emotion, even though it ties into it a little bit, that, like, I have a hard time – it's kind of like I understand what she's talking about, about Mm -hmm. emotions, but I feel like I have some sort of, like, answer, which is – I don't even know if I want this on the podcast because it sounds so douchey, but it's like – it transcends, the idea of emo- it transcends the idea of self. Like I think ultimately there is no self. So mm-hmm. my solution is to dissolve a sense of self instead of trying to harness my emotions. I don't want to harness my emotions. I hear you. That doesn't sound that douchey to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, no.
1: I, I, I also wonder, um, you know, and I don't know how you feel about this. Parenthood and seeing, you know, both of our children or oh, your oh, children, four, my, our, your, broods. our broods, eh, my, they're young. And the emotions are not terribly far from the surface. They are reactive. They haven't really learned the bad habits, at least mine haven't, of like, you know, trying to mask their emotions yet. And there's something actually kind of great about that. They are what they are in that moment. Um, And I feel that's been a little instructive for me as an adult who is full of... You know, nonsense and coping strategies and like you know explanations and rationalizations for every imaginable emotional state. To just watch how kids kids are what they are in that time,
0: and it passes through them. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that has been exactly instructive. Is I see Augie get fucking distraught for thirty seconds, and then he's back, and he's eating his fish sticks or (laughs) whatever, and it's like no big deal. So true. But I think for me as a parent, the emotional aspect has been that. I cycle. I feel so many emotions, and my style of parenthood is very hands-on and high volume. Yeah. So there's so many instances in which I act. I don't know how to put it. When you don't have kids, right, and you're not around them, and you're not around your kids all the time, you're not really asked to have that many actions. You're not taking that many actions, or you're taking actions that you want to take, right? When you're with your kids and they're all over you all the time and you're being asked to decide 8,000 things every 30 seconds and you're cycling through all these emotions, it's also an opportunity to observe your own emotions. And I think that's what's been so useful for me is I can see, oh, here I'm getting frustrated, here I'm getting angry, here I'm happy, here I'm this, and then... How am I acting based on those emotions? Yeah, you know, and,
1: and you can't match them emotionally. I mean, that's just you're not going to last very long. No, <laughs> you know, if you are like meeting their anger with anger and their fear with fear. I mean, you are in the you know position very often and trying to mitigate whatever emotions they are if they're negative. I'm not trying to mitigate their happiness yet. <laughs> yet, that's it the, all ends. <laughs> that's 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 my mother specializes. You know
0: in what? That. Um, speaking of like. Uh you know, Augie asked me this morning um wh- why have we never died? <laughs> <laughs> I was like what? wow what?
1: Wow, that's a whole pod right there.
0: Yeah, I had, I was like, well, I guess the causes and conditions that would have caused our death haven't come together yet. And he's that's like That's how
1: you really answered it?
0: Well, yeah. How else?
1: I would have been like eat your
0: cereal. <laughs> <laughs> The, yeah, the circum, I said the, 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 um, what did I say? The circumstances that would lead to our death haven't occurred. Oh, he's deep. Yeah, that was a deep fucking question. He's a deep dude. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> okay, so kids encourage emotion.
2: Mm.
1: They make you aware of your own, I believe, at least in my case, because I'm quite a bit more sophisticated. Um, That's what you think.
0: Um, (laughs) Tracy brought up a good distinction between shame and guilt. Yeah. Which uh, those are totally like commingled with me. I think for me, it's like, so I live alone now and like I'm out in the world. And it's like, my thing is, what do I do with this backpack of guilt that I'm carrying? Do I still, you know, like the guilt is, I think she's right, a signal sign that i do have a moral compass and so i cherish it for that because if i didn't feel that guilt and i've ruined so many people's lives it's like then i'm a sociopath but at the same time it's a really heavy burden to carry around and at some point i think it's going to cause me to act in ways that aren't beneficial for other people um in my own life it's like it'll be part of my shit that i carry around everywhere and i don't want that and i don't think she provided an answer and i don't think there fully is an answer for what to do with that backpack
1: yeah there's nothing in you know you were talking about like buddhism and and the spirituality there and trying to like not you know dwell on the self there's no coping mechanism no nothing there
0: no i think what the a buddhist perspective is the problem isn't the backpack the problem is wanting to put down the backpack uh, the back it's just there i think a Buddhist perspective would be not to attach it to your sense of self which aligns with what she's saying about how guilt is transmogrified into shame i think of them as being somewhat separate not to challenge her you know
1: she knows so much oh but 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 with uh guilt i think of guilt as like okay you know we're men in new york city you're getting these emails Uh, Joshua, you got to come to my book party. My band's playing. Hey, I just started doing stand-up comedy. And you're like, oh, God. I'm just like, to me, guilt is like not going to all the invites, right? Shame is a different thing.
0: Yeah, but your life is like... like I'm getting. I don't get that many emails. My friends aren't that <laughs> successful. But my, my guilt is more like, hey, this person that I was married wanted to move upstate and become a farmer and had this whole life vision for us and mm. invested in me as her husband and had this life planned out for us and I ruined that and I've ruined <laughs> another person's life. You know, that's not quite an email, right? I mean, not- that has that has been put in an email, <laughs> but there's more to it than that. Yeah. So it's like. It's so hard when the guilt is so
1: huge. No, that's weapons grade guilt.
0: Yeah. How do you not let that bleed over into shame? And then if you don't let it bleed over into shame, which I'm trying hard not to, what do you do with that whole big circle of damage you caused?
1: Do you think that um, humiliation is a totally separate feeling from all that? I, I'm, the reason I ask is that you know someone close to me had a marriage dissolve a long time ago, and they talked about how that, just that feeling of humiliation—that to, just to tell people, you know, you had to confide in you know friends and then coworkers and things—and all that kind of process just like really wore them down in ways that they didn't anticipate.
0: No, I mean I don't feel humiliated at all. I think it's I feel I feel like at the risk of sounding glib this is how people are and people fuck up and that's what yeah. it that's what it means to be human
1: you're in the 52% i mean this is not like some sort of like i mean not to, and exception. i'm not in
0: any way trying to justify anything that i've done i'm not doing that I, it's like i still take responsibility i still take it seriously yeah. but i have a really hard time and i don't want to for my own sanity and i don't think it's healthy to say well i I am this aberrant, abhorrent individual who did this. No, I'm, I'm a human and I fucked up and I know it. And I'm trying to do better. Well, that's it for the Fatherly Podcast for this episode and maybe forever. Um, I want to thank all of you for listening and the kind comments that you've sent or let me know that you've felt. I like it that I've done something in the world that I think has been of service. I want to thank our executive producer, Andrew Berman, our producer, Anthony Roman. I guess I helped produce it, but I don't need to thank myself. Juan at Duotone Studios, who's engineering this. All of our um, co-hosts, Postel Pringle, Jason Gay, Krishna Andavalu, and everyone who's been a part of the podcast. That's it.